Hello and welcome to Watch It Baptist Church Online. My name's Mike, I'm the pastor here at WBC and you're joining us for the second in a little two-part sequence uh, about discipleship and about the church and its role in that too. I'm going to start by praying uh, and then I'll be reading uh, two passages from Colossians 1 uh, but I'll roll them straight into each other. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would be our guide through this session. Would you point us towards the things that we need to understand? Would you challenge us by your spirit where we need to be put off balance? Uh, would you care for us as we seek you? Amen. Okay, I'm going to read from Colossians 1. I'm going to start at verse 2. Uh, but just before I do that, I am going to let you know that you're going to need pen and paper for this session. There's going to be sort of two or three, maybe a couple more than that times when you'll need to be able to write something down. I'll give you some time to do that when the time comes, but you will need to have pen and paper so that you can. Right then, let's start uh, with verse oh, three of Colossians 1. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Pephras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Holy Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins i'm going to go straight on a little bit further in chapter one now i rejoice in what was suffered for you and i fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to christ's afflictions for the sake of his body which is the church I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. This end I labour, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. So we're taking a look 
at uh, some of the same sort of topic areas that we looked at last time round when we talked about what business we are in as disciples. And this time I really want to put it in the context of church and that community of faith and of apprenticeship to Jesus. So we said last time that uh, disciples bear fruit. Uh, they do this because that's part of their reflection of being in Jesus. Also that disciples love each other and are known for that and that they are friends, John 15 tells us, uh, of God and not only servants. The business we are in is not the same as the tasks we do. That's something else that we looked at last time, saying that the things that we're committed to are not the same as the tasks that might bring them about. We have, if you like, uh, a strategy aim, an, an overall purpose, which isn't just about the individual bits of activity. At this point, I want you to grab that pen and paper and I want you to write down five things. Each time we stop and do this, we're writing down five things. In this case, it's five things that you like about church. Let's have a go at writing them down. I'll give you a minute or so to do that. Let's just leave those five things where they are for the moment. Bill Hull, who's a writer on discipleship, which I, I've mentioned him before, uh, who I'm a bit of a fan of, says this. Disciples are born to be made. Disciples are born in as far as they have a being born again experience, like Jesus talks about in John chapter three. There is a way in which they are made into a new creation, which is something Paul talks about in Corinthians too. Disciples, though, as, as Bill is hinting here, need making. They just don't pop out as fully fledged things. We as people don't suddenly arrive at the ability to do lots of stuff. We have to commit to doing it. There has to be an intention to do it. So it's not automatic. I think I've quoted before this idea that although our spiritual growth, our growth in Jesus is supernatural, that is to say it's not just uh, about 
natural things, but about spiritual things too. Although it's supernatural, that doesn't mean it's automatic. We, don't do, we do not, by default, just become more mature Christians. Paul says in the end of Colossians, uh, and it, it was referred to in a slightly different way in, in the version that I read, but the idea that he really wants to be able to present these new Christians as mature people. So we need to think about what we need in order for that growth to happen. If disciples are born to be made, then there's some being born and there's some being made goes, goes on. What's the being made made up of? What is it that we do that makes a disciple stronger, that makes someone who follows Jesus more mature or grows them up spiritually? And I, a little while ago, and I still think it's relevant now, we talked quite a bit about a, a picture that was shared across the church about um, flowers in the cracks, the ability of people, whether that's us as those who know Jesus or those who don't yet know Jesus, the ability to flourish and grow and bloom wherever we happen to be, rather than looking to be transplanted to somewhere that's more like a, a flower box where things are tidy and, and well tended. We grow where we are. What is it that we need where we are in order to flourish? So let's pause again for five more things. What five things do you think are important for disciples to do? What five things do you think disciples should do? You can write down more than five if you like, but five is just a good number to aim for. Uh, and I'll leave you a couple of minutes to do that now. I spoke just now about the importance of intention all the way through those Colossians 1 verses that I read. There's lots of Paul talking about how he did this and he wanted to do that and he chose to do this and how in response to this thing, they're doing that thing. Intention is really important. I think that's well summed up when it comes to our relationship with God by a psalmist. Actually, the psalmist behind Psalm 63. What's interesting about this is that a lot of how we approach Jesus is represented in this psalm, even though it's written well before Jesus lived. 
I'm just reading the first four verses of Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. And so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift my hands. That's not the description that comes from somebody who hopes that his relationship with God will just sort itself out. It's a description from a poet who loves to spend time with God and recognises that he needs to do that. That in order for things to be the way they are, that's where he needs to be. That's what he needs to pursue. That's what he needs to go for. And he describes it as a thirst and nothing makes a bigger contribution from us to our discipleship than a thirst for Jesus. The biggest contribution to our discipleship comes from Jesus himself and from his Holy Spirit. But in terms of what we can bring, that thirst is crucial. I used to go and watch football matches uh, in Norwich when I lived there with a friend of mine called Andrew. And one of the most common things for Andrew to shout during the game while it was going on, it was Norwich City, so there's no guarantee the players could hear him, but he would shout, you've got to want it, really loudly. And he was trying to get across to the players that he felt the thing that was most important was their desire, their determination to get involved and make a difference. They couldn't suddenly turn on additional skill level, but they could switch on their desire. They could decide to chase the ball or uh, chase back to cover an area or, you know, just, just to switch their brains on for that determination and that passion to be a part of things. This is what our thirst is like. Our thirst for Jesus is about wanting it. And the thing that we are called to want is an ever-increasing relationship with Jesus. 2 Peter 1 touches on that and describes all the things that go into that desire. But we have a psalmist here summing it up. So really, when we think about what business we're in and what business the church is in, part of the question that we need to ask ourselves is, what are we in this for? Or maybe even who are we in this for? And it's okay to be in it for us. It's okay for us to want to be in it because we know it's good for us. The psalmist says exactly that. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. He knows God is good and so he wants to be with him and getting to know him and be closer to him. I spent some time this week filling out a questionnaire to do with Danesfield Middle School. And they were asking all kinds of things about their um, intended mission statement, something something a bit like that. And they asked all kinds of things about, about whether me, as, a, as someone they were consulting, thought that the phraseology they were using was helpful. And I did respond to one at one point saying, I thought that it was really important that the way they talk about the community in that school is not so much about excellence, but about intention and aspiration. To be excellent can be misunderstood as being superior or, or getting the best marks or the best grades. I think what's more important in a community that's committed to learning and to being a community is to aspire to things together and to be intentional, to be deliberate, to say this is where I want to go and I want people to help me get there. Or I want someone to help me work out where to go and what I need to get there. It's at this point we're pausing again just so that you can write down five more things. This time it's five things you can do to help yourself grow spiritually. Five things you can do 
to help yourself grow spiritually. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says uh, that he would like the church there to follow him as he follows Christ, to imitate him as he imitates Christ. Those kinds of words. Our following of Jesus is a key part of our witness. You think about how Jesus described how people would know his disciples as disciples. He said, they'll know you by the way you love each other. There are going to be characteristics that make you stand out as somebody who knows and loves Jesus and the way you treat the other people in your community is a big part of that. Our following Jesus in visible ways helps people recognise what Jesus stands for and our following of Jesus in visible, audible, noticeable ways is a big deal when it comes to us supporting each other as disciples to grow. At the, at the absolute heart of Jesus' Great Commission is obedience to everything he's commanded. And if other disciples see us being obedient, that's going to help them be obedient too. We have to ask ourselves then, how does a church support obedience? How does a church support doing what Jesus commanded? How does the church go about um, being a community where that kind of the deliberate, intentional um, direction of travel is something that that we do together how can the church help with that i want to refer at this point to a quote from eugene peterson he says this more frequently there is the untested assumption that the congregation is close to being the kingdom already and that if we all pull together and try a little harder it will be pastors especially seem to assume that everybody or at least the majority in a congregation can be either persuaded or pushed into righteousness and maybe even holiness, in spite of centuries of evidence to the contrary. Peterson, who is such an encouraging writer and teacher and instructor, is brutally honest, I think, at the end there. He says, we assume that 
people in churches are already fairly close to Jesus and just a little bit more effort will take them where they need to be. But, he says, the evidence over years of church life suggests that doesn't really happen. So what we need, again, is that thirst, is that intentionality, is that deliberateness to be apprentices to Jesus. And it's not just me that does that. In fact, in a church context, it's crucial to think about how we, how the, how the us, does that together. And I want to refer you to the second of the promises that we make at Watch at Baptist Church as part of our annual covenant commitment to each other. This is how it goes. I commit to the people in this church community, recognising that God wants us to live out our faith together and to encourage each other to become more like Jesus. I commit to serving God in this church community. Please disciple me as I open my life to you. You are my community for discipleship, mission and worship in this coming year. I will live out the vision and values of this church in partnership with you. It's an incredibly open and vulnerable place to be. I was reading fairly recently, and I can't remember where it was now, but that, about that sense of irony, that, that a, a Christian faith that is so comfortable to refer to Jesus, our leader, as lamb, that we so often have difficulties allowing ourselves to be vulnerable with one another when our leader is a vulnerable lamb. I'm going to touch very briefly on James chapter 1 here, just verses 2 to 5. James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Right at the very start of his letter, uh, as with all these letters written to uh, first generation churches, James is saying, when things are difficult, when you do feel vulnerable, when you feel challenged, that's a good thing. Because under those circumstances, your faith produces perseverance. So when you're stuck in a difficult situation, or when you're feeling vulnerable or challenged, and you stick with it, that your thirst continues, that you choose to keep following Jesus, that's when growth happens. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. We do not get to be mature without accepting challenge and sticking through it. At this point, we're going to do five things again, but there are two different ones I want you to do, so I'm going to be a little bit of a longer time. So they are five things you can do to help other disciples grow spiritually. Five things you can do to help other disciples grow spiritually. And five things other disciples can do to support you in your discipleship. Those two things again. Five things you can do to help others grow spiritually. Five things other disciples can do to help you grow too. Let's take a moment to look at those.
Okay, my job as a pastor is to make disciples and model what it means to be a disciple. I think possibly that's one of the things I get most anxious about that I don't do very well, but that's my role. That's what I'm here for. You see, while there are other things that are important in the life of a, of a faith community, if we're going to be apprentices to Jesus, this discipleship thing has to get our top billing. And by being disciples, we make disciples. If we encourage others to follow Jesus, but we're not being disciples, actually all we do is make converts, people who think maybe like we do. And that's not what Jesus asked for. Now, you might say, uh, but Mike, what about mission and uh, compassion and creation care and and looking out for justice uh, and the needs of refugees and the hungry and, and those in prison? And I'd say, yeah, those are really important. You know, Jesus was very direct about those things. You take a look sort of in the back end of Matthew and you see some very direct language used about those things. Now, it's important to remember that his audience very often for that kind of instruction was the religious types who needed to be reminded. To a large extent, what they're being reminded of is what God's character is like. But what I'd say is, is that as we pursue this journey into discipleship, into a closer relationship with Jesus, as we get nearer to his heart, those things become the things that we don't need to make sure we remember to do because they're part of what makes us tick. We, we know Jesus that well, that those things are inescapable for us. It works much better that way around. If we say, um, I'm going to make sure I take care of, of justice and care for the poor and care of refugees, but I won't look after my relationship with Jesus. We may find that we're good people, but actually we're not doing anything that marks us out from lots of the people around us because there are lots of good people out there. Being a follower of Jesus means that our priority is Jesus and then allowing his heart and his spirit to shape how our life works and what we make our priorities. It's not so much that those things will happen by default, it may be that they don't, but it is that our attitude to the world will be in line with Jesus' attitude if we make our thirst for him our top priority. Remember that when Jesus started giving his sermon on the mount, the thing he focused on was attitude first. You see, the thing that's special about disciples, about Jesus' disciples, isn't that we feed the hungry. Because, you know, governments do that, secular governments do, and, and other religions do it too. And Muslims and Buddhists and, and Jewish folks, and, you know, and that's great, and, and those things should happen. But what's special about us is that we do it because of Jesus. We are drawn to that kind of activity, not because we believe that we're nice people, but because we believe that's what's on Jesus' heart. Similarly, in our worship, when we raise our voice and sing to God, we do that because we get to share the relationship Jesus has with the Father. We have a recognition of what God is like because we know because Jesus is God. And you see how the crucial thing here is that our close relationship with Jesus is the thing that gets our nurture, our, our resources, our, our priority, our energy. And there are lots of ways of doing that. It could be that one of your immediate responses to this kind of call is to feel a sense of guilt about your devotional life. And I, I can understand that. And I think devotional life is really important. It's a good bedrock, a rhythm uh, 
of life, a kind of a rule of life, a, a, a trellis on which our life might grow, um, is really helped by regular committed pattern of engagement with Jesus. But the aim here is not to make you feel guilty about your devotional time. The aim here is to encourage you to, I'm not sure if I can do inspiring people, but that's what I want to do, inspire you, revive your thirst for Jesus so that the thing you want most is to follow him, be with him and be closer to him, to, to grow spiritually into maturity. Let's do one more five things. What five things do you think the church should be doing? I ask this question knowing that quite possibly the way you answer that question now will be different from how it might have been at the start of this session, which is why I saved it to this point. What five things do you think the church should be doing? There may be more than five, but let's go for five as a name. There truly is nothing more important than our relationship with Jesus. And our relationship with Jesus will grow us spiritually. So anything that we can think of to do that will help us grow spiritually, that will bring us closer to Jesus, and anything we can think of to do that's going to bring others closer to Jesus, those are the things that matter most. Those are the things we give ourselves to. That's how we express our thirst for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, shape us. Lord Jesus, renew us. Holy Spirit, be our signpost that we may have in you, God, the energy and the intention and the um, heart to follow Jesus, to be close to him and to grow. Would you help us know where to start? Will you help us know how to support each other? as we do this. Amen. Those sets of five things were designed as an aid to thinking. I'm going to throw in three questions at this point as normal. Um, it may be that if you are considering this 
teaching session with others that you want to give some time to what your responses were to those lists of five. But because three questions is a, is a, a pattern that we stick to and because you might find them helpful anyway, let me ask these three. Number one, how will you ask other disciples to help you? You can't do this on your own and you really shouldn't try. That's not what Jesus intended. He intended this to be a community activity, being a disciple. So how will you ask, how will you ask other disciples to help you? Question two, what are you doing to help the church? And think particularly in terms of what things you think the church should be focusing on. And what are you doing to help the church in its priorities? Question three, how do you need to grow? You as an individual, you as a, a person who has a personal relationship with Jesus or is getting to know Jesus or whatever it might be. How do you need to grow? And if you're not quite sure where to start, here's a suggestion. In Galatians 5, to 23, there's a list of fruits of the Spirit. They are uh, a description of what people who follow Jesus might um, be rich in. So love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness and self-control. They are the nine listed in those verses. So think of those nine things. If you're looking for somewhere to start and think which of those nine is a gap for me or which of those nine seems to seems, I feel like I score lowest on or, or something along those lines. Use them as a guide to your own development, your own formation as a disciple and say, where do I start? What do I focus on first? Let's look at those. It's just a suggestion. You may not need that, but if it is helpful, please do make use of it. As we close our times together, let's pray. Father, would you make us into a church that thirsts for you, that knows how to support one another as we grow in you, which is intentional and determined and which has a sense of aspiration for who we want to be in your name and for your glory. Amen. Thank you for being with us for this session. I look forward to seeing you soon. Take care.